Squad Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog with sports odds to free casino games like a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pad here with you once again as the offseason continues here, but the Stanley Cup playoffs also giving us a lot of intrigue. However, let's kick things off with a bit of Canuck news here. As we were talking about last week, how Elias Pettersson is reportedly going to the World Hockey Championship to represent Sweden. Now, Rick Dollywall, our buddy Dolly there, said that there is a bit of a holdup right now when it comes to the insurance. I don't know about you. I didn't really think anything of it. I thought, no, they'll figure that out. And turns out they didn't. And Elias Pettersson is not going to represent Sweden due to insurance hurdles. Yeah. Uh, one of the Swedish newspapers uh, reporting today that they just couldn't find a way around this. And the biggest stumbling block was you can't get insurance on something that doesn't exist. And I guess, I mean, that, I mean, that makes some sense. No insurance expert here, that's for sure. But, you know, Pedersen was trying to get insurance on his future earnings, but he's got a contract in place for next year that you could get insured. But it's the big contract, the one that we've all been talking about, the one that we're waiting for here. We just don't know what those numbers are. and Nobody does. And the insurance companies, I suppose, would need that kind of information. And since that contract doesn't yet exist, they wouldn't issue a policy. So, you know, unfortunate for Pedersen because clearly he was going to these lengths. He wanted to play. Wanted to extend his season that ended prematurely here and what a season it was for him with his 102 points. So it's unfortunate for Pedersen. Certainly it's a loss for Sweden. I mean, talk about star, star power that, yeah. you know, they were probably banking on. But you know full well, one that where, and I don't know where he is right now, but somewhere Rick Tockett is fist pumping. <laughs> <laughs> Summer of Rick. Exactly. <laughs> probably on the, you know, quick text to Petey. You better be lifted today. Uh, Again, he's a hockey player. He wanted to play. Can't get the insurance, so he won't. But, you know, again, the Canucks and Tockett particularly has tried to spin this, that the one upside of being out of the Stanley Cup playoffs is that it's more time to to get at it for next season. So we'll see if Elias Pettersson, you know, applies that theory, I would think, as a young guy who's just come off 82 games. Probably he's earned himself a little bit of downtime and some vacations, but but Tockett will be all over him. Work out. So... <laughs> I wonder, though, like what a coach feels like in terms of what's better for training, you know, to play in sort of high consequential games like the World Hockey Chips Championship can present. Maybe some of them aren't as highly as others or, you know, or training, you know, or like, you know, off, you know, not even off the ice, just just non-game training. You know, yep. I wonder what they would prefer there for Elias Patterson. I think with Rick Tockett, it's probably the, you know, non-game training, but. It's kind of interesting to see, you know, which coach would prefer what. When it comes to Pedersen's contract, what I don't understand is he's under contract. Yes. So why isn't the insurance off of the one he's currently on? Like, he's on it until the end of next season. But the right. one doesn't even kick in until the season. Right. But if you're Elias Pedersen, you're trying to get insurance on your future earnings. If you blow out a knee at the world, the insurance company would only insure the final year oh, of sense. next contract. Okay. Like he's in line to, as we said, I mean, hundred million dollars possibly. Yeah. And that's what he wanted some sort of insurance, but it's such a nebulous concept that the insurance companies can't wrap its head around. We can't insure what we don't know. So yeah, it's not about what he's got left on this contract. He was trying to get some sort of insurance in case of, you know, just a catastrophic injury. Yeah. I think I said makes sense. Yeah. If you, you could have a, you know, career ending injury in this tournament, right? So that does make sense. The NHL announced teams are heading to Sweden. Mm -hmm. for what is it called the uh, global series red wings will play the sens and then take on the leafs the wild will play the sens and then they'll play the leafs as well so just sort of back-to-back -back games there four teams headed over there or 
Is that four? One, two, three. Yeah, fourteen. Four. Okay, wad and counting again, bud. <laughs> um. Anyway, point is this: like Canucks are loaded with Swedes. Why aren't they there? Well, they have the highest scoring Swede in the National Hockey League this past season, and the guy that we just talked about, Elias Pettersson. I mean, there are other, like, you know, William Nylander is a star. He'll go and represent the Leafs, and I'm sure uh, we'll draw some interest. All all these games in Stockholm, by the way, so they're not spreading them around other parts of Sweden. All four games are going to be played in Stockholm. You know, Joel Erickson, of Minnesota, not exactly a superstar, but uh, one of the better Minnesota Wild players. That Detroit's got Lucas Raymond, among others. So there are Swedes on these teams. I mean, it does make you wonder a little bit that, you know, okay, I don't know what goes into the planning. I don't know if teams are asked if they want to be part of this because obviously there's some owner's travel involved. Or if the league basically says you, 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 and you, you guys are part of this for next year. I mean, they seem to try to spread it around. Was it San Jose and Nashville that started this past season in Prague? You know, NHL's been going overseas for a while now. They announced that Arizona and the LA Kings would go to Australia in the preseason. We know that Calgary and Edmonton are going to play in a Heritage Classic. At Commonwealth, the uh, Seattle and Vegas get the Winter Classic down at T-Mobile. So it does make you wonder, like at what point, when you think of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and J.T. Miller and now Andre Kuzmenko and Thatcher Demko, like there's enough star power on this Vancouver Canuck team. But my sense is that this is the league looking and just saying, like, you know, get it sorted out there, you know, just be better basically, like play your way back into consideration for. For some of these things now, Detroit's not a playoff team this year and Ottawa isn't either, but both of those teams look like, you know, they're starting to move in the right direction. Uh, whatever the case, I just thought it was interesting. You've got the high scoring Swede. You've got an organization that has a history of Swedish players. And obviously the Sedins could be front and center if you, you know, not playing, but they could be part of the whole event if you got the invite to go and play in Stockholm. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to me to see how long, how long before the Vancouver Canucks get back on the National Hockey League radar to play in one of these sort of featured games with the star power that they've got in their lineup. Elias Pettersson is, he's the biggest star in the NHL from Sweden right now, is he not? I mean, Eric Carlson had an incredible yeah. year, obviously. And we so talked about the Jad's up there too. Jad. Yeah. yeah, there are a lot. But yes, I would say just based on the point total, where he yeah. is in his sort of career arc, and it looks like maybe he's pushed open that 100-point door you know, to be in that club for a bunch of seasons. So I don't know, like when you've got games in Stockholm, like I, I kind of thought maybe the Canucks would get on the invite. And, and, and look, maybe they don't need the distraction of, you know, heading overseas and coming back with the travel from the West Coast of Canada and all that kind of stuff. Maybe this is just a season where Rick Tockett's first full year on the job, just focus on the task at hand and don't worry about those types of things. But again, I just, I, I it seems to me like the NHL should want to put its star players on display whenever it gets an opportunity. So somewhere along the line, like, you know, next spring, and we've had this discussion, I don't want to go back down this road, and I certainly don't need another game at BC Play Stadium, but next year will be 10 full years since the Canucks have taken part in their one and only featured game at the NHL level. And again, it's been a dark decade, I get that, but now give some signs of coming out of the darkness, at least with the star power they possess. I kind of thought that somewhere along the line, they would have played themselves into conversation to be part of one of these featured matchups. Yeah, I wonder, though, if you ask the coaches whether they want to be a part of that, too, for everything you just said there as well. And, you know, maybe there's an argument that it didn't really help the Preds this year, too. The Sharks were not going to be a playoff team. We knew that. But 
know, maybe there is that argument, who knows, but yeah, nonetheless, Canucks not heading over to Sweden and the uh, biggest Swedish NHL player will not be gracing the ice over there in Elias Pettersson. Do you know what today is, J-Pat? Uh, Wednesday, and that much I know. Oh, today is a very famous day in Canucks history. Of course, the Slay the Dragon goal was scored on this day back in 2011, J-Pat. 12 years ago, right? That's, That's that the... is correct, yeah, yeah. Is that the biggest moment in 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 your your history of of you know being a journalist broadcaster or whatever in sports? Uh I, yeah, I wasn't at the gold medal game in the Olympics. I was at the women's gold medal game. When it comes to the Canucks, funny like it was an incredible goal. Everybody understands the reasons why, but I sort of am of mixed minds like when you ask that question because ultimately a dozen years later and we're still talking about a first round goal. Right? Like a first round goal. And it was a massive goal given the fact that, you know, three straight years against the Blackhawks squandered the three nothing series lead, flushed a one nothing lead in the third period, late in the third period. And then, of course, Burroughs took a penalty in overtime. They had to kill that off. And then he slayed the dragon. But here's the, the kicker in all of this. Since that win 12 years ago today, the Vancouver Canucks have just three series victories as an organization. Two of them came in the following rounds against Nashville. And San Jose. And then, of course, they beat St. Louis in the series victory. But even if if I give that one to you, it's four in a dozen years. And that's the problem is that as great as that moment was, and the drama was so thick that night, like you truly could cut the tension with a knife. It is kind of sad that here we are 12 years later. And really, it just reminds you of how dark the past decade has been. Like it is so time to create some new playoff memories for this organization and in this city, but this is what we've got. And again, it speaks to the lack of success over the last 10 years. So this is what we're left with is, you know, remembering slaying the dragon 12 years ago. Great moment. Absolutely. It'll stand the test of time. Great call by Shorty. Uh, But damn it, like, let's go. It's time and talk about some new playoff memories for the Vancouver Canucks. I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, too, just everything that led up to that, the Argo before course, that, yeah. you know, like, so even if they were to, you know, maintain themselves as a playoff team, I don't know if you were going to get that sort of moment because of everything that an opponent, right? Right. So. And and it was like hatred, right? Like three years in a row, we always talk about rivalries are built in the playoffs and imagine if the Canucks and the Kraken could ever meet once, like what that would do for the rivalry. Three straight years, the yeah. same central character. Yeah, some well, of the big parts changed. You know, same things happening in Toronto right now, right? With them in, in Tampa. They're this their second year. Like, I mean, they're looking to slay their dragon right now. This right. might be, you know, and that's that call two years. Be... That's back to back. And we're yeah. talking three consecutive yeah. years. And yeah. the Hawks were the defendant added to it. And again, like the Canucks were a goal away from the infamy of losing four straight. And you know full well that the organization would have blown it up. Like, I don't know that, you know, I don't know if the twins get moved at that point, but, you know, Kessler, you couldn't come back with the same group. Alain Vigneault would have been fired. He couldn't get past the, the same team three years in a row. Like, there were jobs at stake that night. There is no doubt in my mind, none. And so I know from the outside, like other markets would say, look at you guys, you're remembering a goal from 12 years ago in the first round. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But it wasn't just any goal in the first round. Like, the... Steps to get there, as you said, were unlike anything that I can remember in my time covering, not just the Canucks, covering hockey. And so with all of that at stake, and then for John and the Taves to score the shorthanded goal to tie it, and 
you know, Burroughs had missed a penalty shot in the third period that would have put the Canucks up two goals. It probably would have been enough with Luongo playing the way he was. But then Burroughs takes the penalty in overtime. You know, it's funny. Like, I try to distance myself from results, uh, you know, in this job, even though I grew up in Vancouver and I still, like, I want to see the Canucks win the Stanley Cup. You know, my job doesn't change based on the result. But I will admit, with all the things that I just said, when Burroughs took the penalty in overtime and recognizing that the Stanley Cup champs were a power play goal away from completing the comeback and probably blowing up the Vancouver Canuck organization, like, you couldn't help but feel the nerves in that building. And Patrick Sharp had the that cross-crease chance and Luongo made the save. And yeah, just an amazing night. And so, yeah, I mean, I wish it was deeper into the playoffs and the fact that I covered the Stanley Cup final and, you know, Burroughs in overtime, nine seconds in or whatever it was in game two. And then when they won game five and were on the verge of winning the Stanley Cup, like, you know, those were some significant moments as well for the Vancouver Canucks. But just in terms of, you know, moments that stand the test of time and always will. Like, even if the Canucks win a cup someday, somewhere, bro, slaying the dragon is always going to be a part of Vancouver yep. Canuck lore. Like, that that has been etched now in the memory books of anybody associated with the organization. It's just that at some point, it has to be a footnote that there has to be more that they've got to get back to that stage and then get it right. Do you think... I mean, obviously losing in the Stanley Cup, you know, they were dominant. They won 51 games the next year after that at 111 points and then losing in the first round. Like, do you think that's just as big of a disappointment as going that far in the cup final? Or, I mean, you know, to play devil's advocate, was that just a team of destiny in the L.A. Kings that uh, they ended up uh, losing to the next year? Yeah, I can't equate it with two chances of winning game six in Boston and then to come home, home ice, you play all year to get, you know, one game for all the marbles. And then to get shut out uh, and lose and, and have the city the way reacted as well. But there's no doubt the next year was highly disappointing. But I think we can all pinpoint Duncan Keith's elbow on Daniel Sedin in Chicago. True. That kept him out on revisionist history. Can't go back. And even with a healthy Daniel Sedin, I'm not sure that they were beating that Kings team. As you said, like, as it turned out, like that was a team of destiny that even though it was an eighth seed was one of the great eight seeds in NHL history, mind you, the Blackhawks the year before were an eighth seed against the Canucks and pushed them to the limit there. But, but you know, the Kings ended up winning in five, the overtime winner, and then obviously went on to win the Stanley Cup. So even though they were an eighth seed, the way that they were built, the way that they were playing, yeah, I mean, they were a handful for the Canucks, but they were a handful for all of the opponents that they faced, and obviously nobody could match them that year. Uh, speaking of the 2011 Canucks, one of the Memberhoff, remember him? I do. Coming out of retirement now to play for that season. But yeah, at 41 years old, coming back to play pro hockey again uh, in Germany. Hey, Erhoff was a huge part of that 2011 team. And you know what? He he was what we th- we thought a smooth skating point producing defenseman looked like until Quinn Hughes yeah. arrived on the scene. But you're right. He had 14 goals. You know, me and my goals from defensemen, like yeah. double digits, well into the double digits. But 50 points in that 2011 just weren't going to be able to afford to offer him what he wanted. And so he got, I think they traded his rights, if I remember properly, they traded his rights to Buffalo. And then Buffalo, 10-year, $40 million contract. Now, a couple of weird things about Christian Erhoff. One is, he played two seasons for the Sabres. Like, they signed him to a four, 10-year, $40 million deal. He played two years for the Sabres and got bought out. But he got bought out after a 33-point season. Like, Imagine the, the Canucks would kill to have another guy behind Quinn Hughes and had a 30, like 33 points and you're buying out a defenseman. I, anyways, a letter back then too. So that part was a little strange. Uh, 
you know, and then he went to Pittsburgh, LA and finished up in Chicago before, as you said, played for Cologne in the, in the DEL. But this is the thing. When you sign a 10 year contract and you get bought out, he's still collecting 857 grand a year from the Sabres through 2028. He's Bobby Bonilla. The Bobby Bonilla deal. That's a good deal to get too. Yes. Like, but still he's, 2023 he's got five more years of 857 grand us so yeah why not dabble and come out of retirement i think you'll turn 41 in the summer so uh, <laughs> i'll see where it goes but I, when i saw that story i was like eh, good for him and it's not about the money obviously in the second division of the german league but money's not a concern when you're no. getting nhl paychecks i mean airhoff's got a good bonilla <laughs> getting 1.19 million 2030 through to 2035 he'll be 72 <laughs> years old now that listen he better have a real nice gift to his agent every single oh, year good. for that what a contract for bobby bonilla applewood auto group is celebrating 25 years of business making the car business and our communities better Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. All right, Jay Pat, uh, it's always a bit of a tough time of year for those of us uh, who were friends with uh, Jason Botchford. The late Jason Botchford passed away. Four years ago this week, you and Botch were really close. The podcast was, I mean, it was a must listen. Everybody loved the podcast. One of the, one of the original podcasts, really, when it comes to uh, Vancouver Canucks coverage as well. But listen, Botch was the man. Everybody knows that he revolutionized how, you know, coverage of a hockey team went with the way he incorporated the videos into his provies. And then later on athletes, uh, you know, you got to spend some time with him as well. I mean, just the stories that you have, the one in particular in Calgary. If you're new to this podcast, if you're new to this story, it is the ultimate. But I mean, you don't have to start there. Just yeah. you know your thoughts on your buddy. Yeah, like it's hard for me to sort of process that it's been four years. And I think part of that is what a four years with the pandemic and time kind of stood still for a while. So on one hand, it feels like Maybe it was longer than four years. And yet at the same time, like, yeah, it was this week, 2019. So it definitely was four years ago and was in contact with his wife, Kat, you know, who to her credit has dealt with this like a champion and, and, you know, raised the three kids. They've moved to Toronto now to be closer to family, but, uh, you know, it's, they've tried their best to honor Jason and his memory and legacy and yet also you know, move forward with their own lives. And I know it hasn't been difficult, but the Watcher Project obviously was a, something that was near and dear to my heart. But it's just, when I go back to those four years, though, like I just kind of marking the, the passage of time, I suppose. And it dawned on me, like, 
Jason Botchford covered Quinn Hughes for five games. Those five games when he turned pro out of Michigan and joined the team at the end of that was it. That's all. Like, imagine what he would have written and the stories that he would have been able to pull out of a guy like Quinn Hughes over the years. But he saw him for five, five games. And I'm not even sure if he was at all five of the games. But, but then, so I'm like, okay, well, Quinn Hughes joined the team late that season. Again, trying to put it in perspective. Botch never covered Tyler Myers as a Vancouver Canuck. Imagine, <laughs> imagine the Tyler Myers. But that's Myers, probably a good thing for Tyler Myers. Myers. Myers signed with the Canucks. I think of, you know, a couple of things when I think of Botch was like, yeah, the Provies and was so innovative. And at a time when, you know, sports coverage was at a bit of a crossroads and the idea of, you know, writers just being writers. And, you know, he infused his writing with tweets and the videos and, and, you know, kind of, there was a TMZ element to like, he loved the salacious stuff and the gossip. He knew that that would register, but he also could cover the, the flat out cover the team. And I think of the stories that he wrote about the alien has landed, the sort of signature piece on Elias Pettersson. One of the last pieces that he wrote was about Jacob Markstrom and his relationship with Ian Clark and, and the work that Markstrom had done to become an elite level goaltender. And, you know, the guy could flat out write as well, but he saw an opportunity to sort of modernize and, you know, I saw it in my first hand, like where there were some old newspaper guys around the NHL that, you know, they were so territorially and territorial. And I think they feared that they were being phased out because they were one trick ponies. And here was this guy that, you know, he wanted to, you know, do the provies and wanted to do video work. And of course, loved doing radio, whether it was his hits or, or filling in. And, you know, people talk about his rants and they remember those all these years later. Like, I wonder. You know, we, we had some fun with Andre Kuzmenko this year when he spoke English post game and that kind of stuff. But I have no doubts that Botch would have, if he had been around this team, like he would have made inroads as he did with Elias Pettersson as a rookie. Like Pity was on guard back as a rookie. And remember the death stare. And I think he wasn't, he was reserved when it came to dealing with the media. And yet Botch was able to push through that and kind of forge the relationship. And we all remember, you know, one of the boss moves of all time, Pettersson acknowledging Botch as he claimed the, yeah. Caller trophy at the, and he I, saw I, it in, in PD before everybody else. Yeah. And I like the do your deeks thing went right back to PD's appearance at young stars. Like, you know, and then <laughs> got printed on t-shirts and whatever, like it became a thing. And that started from, from young stars. So you're right. And I get the feeling that even with the language barrier, like he probably would have been able to break down some walls and pull some things out of Kuzmenko uh, that nobody else did. You know, the other thing, he would have hated covering this team during the pandemic when everything was limited to Zoom, where like everybody got the same access because that's what Botch did. Like Botch, as the scrum went over to that side of the room, he was on the other side getting one-on-ones and getting info that, you know, he could either write about or use in the Provies and the Athletes. And that's how he operated. And that's what made him so successful. Like none of this packed journalism stuff for him. He would have hated having to log on to Zoom and ask, you know, have his questions answered so that everybody would have had access yeah. to the same things. Like I can just imagine like him trying to fight through all of that. So yeah, I mean, you know, I tweeted it out yesterday that it was four years. And when I see the responses, like still means as much to so many people now uh, as he did then. And there's no doubt. And, you know, whether it was the, the Calgary hotel or just, the, I think what made the podcast so successful is I think back on it now, you're right. There were other podcasts, but that one got elevated pretty quickly. And, you know, the fact that people still 
talk about it and ask me about it. Like the, the legacy of the podcast is incredible. You know, sorry, you know what I love? It's your name on. I know. Botch had no problem with that. And in fact, I, asked, I, mean? I like, asked him point blank. I said, like, look, is this thing's picking up steam? Like, shouldn't your name be or should we like, oh, like, I don't need my name I on it. I love that. I love and, that. No, it tells you so much about the person. Sure. And, and look, I always say my greatest skill with that thing was knowing which buttons to like, technically, because I did the technical end of it. But, so which <laughs> buttons to push oh, yeah. to record it, but also which buttons to push to wind him up. And then, you know, away he would go. And But I just think, like, it, yes, it was Canuck-focused. But really, at its essence, it was a podcast of two guys traveling to cover the Vancouver Canucks. Because so much of our material, almost all of our best material, came from the road. And it was just stupid stuff that people encounter when they travel. But I don't know. We just kind of hit a sweet spot. People, you know, couldn't get enough of the podcast. And so, you know, one of my great, regrets obviously is that we didn't get a chance to see where it could have gone in an era now where podcasts are everything and you know i mean it's sad on so many levels obviously and and so proud of cat for again pushing forward and sort of speaking up and using her voice and platform in the anti-stigma campaigns and all that kind of stuff that you know hopefully there are some lessons that can be taken from his passing but there is no question the guy was a showman he was an entertainer. Like the fact that we packed Woody's pub out in Coquitlam like a couple of times. We had the odds. We had a band that performed as part of a live podcast performance. And then obviously the night at the Commodore, the, the okay. tribute, one of the great nights of my career, just to see that much outpouring of support and love and packed a room like that to remember uh, this guy. So yeah, I mean, every year at this time, uh, certainly, it's a, a sad reminder of what we had and, and what we've lost, but uh, there's no doubt uh, his memory uh, will live on in this market. You know, it's funny. I don't think I've ever told you this. Uh, Botch and I doing a podcast centered around the Provies, and I guess uh, essentially the Athletics after that, which is kind of what we do now with the postgame pods. I remember approaching him about it, and I knew he was doing a podcast with you. It just got to where it was like, yeah, it just it's not going to work. It, it just wasn't going to work timing wise, and. I was still relatively new over at TSN 1040, but you know me, I was definitely eager to, to get projects started. I wanted yep. to be more than just, you know, somebody pushing buttons. And then that's how I sort of formed my relationship with, with Botch. Something that I was really proud of is the fact that Botch and I got along really well because I don't know about you, but he didn't let a lot of people in, right? No. Like Botch was, he was a great guy. Don't get me wrong. After, you know, a shift or anything, you know, so the fact that you know, I felt like Botch respected me, I, really wore as, as a badge of honor almost more than anything else. And the fact that we're both pretty fiery dudes so we can get each other going. But listen, I teased it off the top. So you got to tell it because it is just the most remarkable story. I remember listening to it on the podcast and, and just barreling over in laughter, like dying, especially the way because it felt like Botch didn't know the story when you were telling it to him. So please. Well, I don't know that he did, but. You're right. I mean, I've told the story before, but hopefully people that have heard it will bear with me that, yeah, I mean, after a game in Calgary, uh, you know, did our work at the rink and you know, you're usually there by the time you dressing room and go back up to the press box and had to do a hit on the post game show and it may have done some writing, whatever. I mean, it's an hour, an hour and a half after the game. So the game, yeah, I think it was a Saturday night would have started at eight o'clock local time. So, yeah, we're probably past midnight by the time I get back to my hotel and there were some games where you'd go for beer after the game, whatever. That night, I can't remember if I was traveling in the morning, but I was just going to shut it down. So, yeah, I've got a hotel a room, fairly high floor in the hotel. 
get in the elevator, just kind of already in my mind, starting to unwind and, and shut her down for the night. And I step off the elevator and there's this dude with like a, you know, not just a handy cam. Like he had a big, like professional industrial broadcast camera. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then as I look closer, like there's these two young women that, uh, eh, scantily clad. Let's just go with that. They were clothed in the hallway of the hotel, but I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> my night's picking up here. Uh, and then like, this guy's like, and action. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, I just walked onto the set of a porn. Like, <laughs> did they even pay attention to you? Like, and so, no, no, God, no. The scene had started. They were, so they're like walking into their room. And if you can envision it, like I get off the elevator and then like I had a, a right turn down the hall to my room and their room was sort of like right there at the, the bulkhead of the, where the elevators were. So I kind of had to like sneak past me <laughs> the whole time, keeping one eye on <laughs> what's going on. And then I, I get in my room. <laughs> By that point, they had entered their hotel room and they were, uh, they were hard at work. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, and it was that kind of stuff. It was just stupid things that we encountered along the way. Um, you know, how many times I told the story about Bruxy, the, you know, chicken and waffles place in Vegas, the number of people that even now will reach out on social and like, Hey, I'm going to Vegas. What was the name of that? It's closed down, unfortunately. Oh, and no. I haven't been back since uh, the, you know, since I stopped traveling with the Canucks before the pandemic. But I remember that first trip back to Vegas. It just kind of felt like I had to go that, yeah. that, and so they're rolling like tears and oh, rolling down man. my face. And, and it was, it was, but it was one of those things that you just had to do. Like I had to go there sort of pilgrimage, if you will. But yeah, apparently Bruxy is no longer, it was attached to New York, New York. It was kind of right around the corner from T-Mobile. So I don't know what's filled its spot, but if anybody's listening and going to Vegas and thinking that you're going to, no, it's not there anymore. I you know, I, admit I've never been to Vegas and it's, yeah, I wanted to go to it. So, you know, and like, there are so many stories and I've told a lot of them, but just things like yesterday I was thinking about the Canucks had a road trip. They were in Vegas and then they went to Chicago. And so I think they played in Vegas on a Sunday. Well, think about the number of people that go to Vegas for a weekend. And then Monday morning at the Vegas airport, some of the biggest lineups they've ever seen as like people are just fleeing, right? Like they've had their fun. They're getting out of town on the Monday morning. And so we get on this flight to Chicago and Botch is on, I guess he had like boarded the plane before I did. So I'm coming down the aisle at the back. He's stuffed in the middle seat with these two women that looked like they had both just like left it all on the floor in Vegas, like for the weekend, like they were in rough shape and there was bots like squeezed in the middle. And the look that he shot me as I was walking down the aisle, <laughs> <with Lane. laughs> he knew it was going to be a tough flight. <laughs> What's the Tyson foods thing? Well, that, does that involve botch as well? Yeah. That was another yeah. podcast thing where. Yeah. The Iceman, late in the season one year, right? You know, me and my numbers. And I just posted, like, Canucks have scored eight goals once and seven goals twice. And I had done, like, their entire season, just the number of goals, the, how many times they had scored over the course of a year. So, you know, been shut out four times, been, you know, scored once 11 times. It was just a standard list. And I don't know why. Like, it set the Iceman off. Like, he took it. He ran into it, like, totally negative. Like, I... All it was facts, first of all, and and then he claimed that this was, you know, big media's agenda and that, you know, 
he had done his research and that, the, you know, TSN, uh, you know, they were owned in part by like the big American like corporations, including Tyson Foods. And that just sent me this like long thread of, and so basically I read the thread on the podcast one time and like Botch had seen it, but as we went through it sort of tweet by tweet, like, you know, he took the Iceman down and poked holes in all of his theories. And ultimately it came back to the fact that like on the New York Stock Exchange, Tyson Foods is TSN, right? Like that's their stock symbol. And he was so whole, like really was like completely off the wall stuff. But again, like it provided such good material for us on the podcast. So we had a field day with that one. And there were a bunch, obviously botched the tiny. I didn't, I still don't like the Appletis as a title. The problems worked. I didn't like the Appletis. And when I mentioned that, you know, that was the one where he basically walked away from the, the podcast and then like, you know, he wouldn't talk to me for days and it was all legit. Like he was pissed off because he thought that I was like tarnishing his and that, you know, he had just moved to the athletic and this was it, the season that they were going to be called the athletics. And I was like, the athletics, ah, I don't like that name. And he didn't <laughs> like that. So it go. Yeah. So you're keeping you, it real. I like yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are due for a spat then at some point. The listeners yeah. probably agree that Mr. Nice Guy stuff. Yeah. Screw one. Go at him. Yeah. All right. Well, of course. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, he was a legend here in this market. And, you know, it, people knew botch across Canada, too, with his that hockey hits that he used oh, to do as well. So well, on the fight. The that league. is true. Yeah, like, that is true. He, uh, yeah, yeah. he didn't hold back when it came to that as well. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace to our buddy, Jason Botchford. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog. Free casino games, poker tips, and sports odds. It's time to play. Let's stick on Bodog here for just a moment with my best bets. What's going on with Kirill Kaprizov? I mean, I know that Wild didn't score a goal at all, but like it's the guy that's it's his got birthday a, today. Oh, geez, he should have scored a goal for me the day. Wishful thinking than anything else. Don't really have a whole lot of analysis behind this outside of the fact that it is the playoffs and anything can happen. But I got the Panthers on the money line tonight Oof. at plus 205. I just, for some reason, the one on my money. Mm. And I just figure, you know, it's the playoffs. So any, a playoff talk is presented by Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Boy, how about those Oilers last night? 6-3 victory over the Kings. They take a 3-2 lead in the series. They were able to slip out of the boa constrictor, J-Pat, and were able to do some damage. Yeah, I thought you were going to say they did something. They did. Scored a bunch of goals and won a hockey game. Interesting that we talked about would Alex Edler get in the line. And again, like the fact, and I think the Oilers really like the fact that it's not Connor McDavid, that, you know, he and Dreisaitl and, and Kane obviously are, you know, they have a hand in, in some of this, but the depth, the guys that they acquired, Bukestad, uh, Eckholm has been really good for them ever since he arrived. I mean, he was exactly what they needed. You know, they got start they were looking for. So, you know, there's talk now in Edmonton. I see like people are wondering, is McDavid injured? Like, is he a hundred percent? Cause he doesn't, he's just not the guy that, you know, ran rough shot over defenses in the regular season. That said, it's playoffs. These are the Kings. As you said, the Boa constrictors, you know, 
whatever, the Kings now face an elimination and, and they, they weren't very good last night, or maybe the no. others were that good, whatever the case. Uh, yeah. I mean, you think of where LA was on the weekend, they had a chance, a legitimate chance to go up three to one on home ice and squandered that one. And now they're the ones that face in the summer, unless they can come up with another win on home ice. So, uh, that's the ebbs and flows of playoff hockey, but I do like the depth guys. You know, you had to figure, I mean, Hyman scores in overtime the other night and then using his face last night and going to the net. Like you knew that he would be heard from before the series was, was through. So, uh, again. I think a lot of people for a long time have thought that the Oilers were really just Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but they're showing here in round one that uh, the depth guys are starting to to step to the front. Clutching his cheek as he does the yeah. handshake line as well. That was pretty remarkable. I mean, I think you and I were the only two people that didn't get the face last night. Sebastian Ajo taking one right. yeah. as well in that uh, 3-2 loss to the Islanders. Um, yeah, Yeah, it feels like New York's sort of holding on right now. But, you know, I said that you know, perhaps the Islanders could win this series by goalieing the, the Canes. That's not the case right now. Sorokin has been average, but also, too, Bo Horvat at one point was taken off the top line last night. You know, he's just hasn't been the same, you know, point producer as he was in Vancouver. And should this have been expected because of the way that the Islanders play and the Canucks were playing that time under Bruce Boudreau? Yeah, I mean, uh, he had risen to the point where. You know, he was a legitimate like goal scoring threat every time he touched the puck at the time of the trade. Like, sure, there was going to be a downtick in his performance going to the Islanders and the way that they played, but I, I still thought there was enough there that he would be more of a factor. You know, the fact that like he was disappointing down the stretch, but they made the playoffs, and then people thought, okay, well, fresh start, Barzell's back, and that hasn't really happened. Although he set up Barzell for, I guess, it turned out to be the winning goal last night. But then, you know, now that you're in the playoffs, like every game is another opportunity. They survive to go back home. Maybe game six is when we hear from Bo Horvath. But I'm like everybody. I'm I'm surprised that uh, there hasn't been a whole lot there. And for Carolina, they scored a beautiful power play goal to tie the game at one. And then it was challenged and overturned. On, and it was offside. It was. But it was one of those ones where, like, the entry came, you know, a minute before the goal. Like, they got set up on the power play. And, I mean, sure enough, it was offside by the letter of the law. But tough break there because they had tied the game at one and I thought maybe that would allow them to get back in it. it wasn't the case necessarily and once the Islanders were able to get a lead like they're pretty good at defending that way you're right like it hasn't been Sorokin at all and Carolina has shown an ability to score against him so let's see where this thing goes but yeah and I wouldn't be surprised like I, you know the Islanders have life now so wouldn't be surprised if this one goes the distance and they have to go back to Raleigh to try to get it done in seven Stars take a 3-2 series lead over the Minnesota Wild with a 4-0 victory in that one. Jake Ottinger has been very good in this series. Jake Ottinger is a very good goaltender. Marcus Foligno gets tossed in what I thought was a, I thought it was a bullshit call. I don't know about you. I know that they didn't look to me like there was intent on the knee on knee there. It looked to me like he was trying to finish his track. He didn't stick the knee out. But it feels like it's a reputation call on Felino as well. And he's having himself a tough series. But then, as mentioned as well, Kirill Kaprizov also having a tough series. Just one point now through five games. Is Marcus Felino the most unlucky player in the NHL, though? Like, I mean, it, it, every time he gets called, he looks to the referees and throws his hands in the air. I think you said it. Like, there is a reputation there. And, you know, Minnie's identity is they want to be tough. They want to play hard. They've got guys that, you know, finish checks and do that kind of stuff. But it's such a fine line of playoff time. And, you know, 
you put it in the hands of the officials, some of the calls are going to go against you. You know, the one that he got the other night at home, the check on Hawk and Paw, that one seemed like a pretty weak call. I think last night he's going out there trying to set the tone. And unfortunately for him, but that was a tripping penalty, JPEG. That's not five in a game. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, no, you're not wrong in that sense. But again, you're putting in the arms and in the hands of the officials at that point. You know, sometimes you're going to get calls that do go against you. And yeah, it was unfortunate that it happened that early in the game. And sure, say again, scores. And, and all of a sudden, Dallas gets the, the lead and the start that it's looking for. But there was still a lot of time. And on a night when you get shut out, like it's not just one guy or one play. There, there wasn't enough there from the rest of them. And you're right, Kaprizov, like that's a mystery to me. And, and I do wonder if, you know, he, he was out for the final six weeks of the regular season. Like I, yeah. I'm wondering now if, you know, but, you know, Ottinger again, Minnesota had the early breakaway. Was it Sam Steele? I think that had the breakaway and, and didn't convert, like score there. Maybe it's a different game, but all Ottinger does is stop. <laughs> no, I know. Breakaways. Yeah. The guys showed last year and early in his career, he's got the chops. And so uh, now it's a pretty steep hill, I think, for Minnesota. They they may win in game six and get it back to Dallas for game seven. But I like the Stars' chances needing one win here with two games to go. All right. As mentioned, Colorado and Seattle tonight, J-Pat. So yeah, where do you really think that curious. one's going? Well, winning the for yeah. the Seattle Kraken. And if you're, you know, if you're going to go on a deep playoff run, they're getting there as early on. We've seen this before, too, where teams... You know, they'll get on a lengthy playoff run and they'll look back and they'll say, man, like that was the best thing that happened was we got pushed in the first round. They're getting pushed by the Seattle Kraken. So best of three, Colorado still has home ice advantage. They've got the experience. They've got game breakers that the Kraken don't have, but those guys better show up and perform. Like there's a fair bit of heat on Nathan McKinnon, I think, in in game five here to be the best player on the ice. All right. You know what? I'll parlay those two uh, road teams tonight. We'll put Seattle and Florida together. At plus 693 on the parlay there. Look at that. Little value there. See if the road teams can pull through here. And, uh, of course, Florida trying to extend the series. Seattle trying not to fall behind. All right. It's been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog. For Jeff Patterson, I'm Andrew Watt. Remember, Rinkwide. It's the show that always goes.